Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. I got a, got a big butt. It's gigantic, if I'm going to be blunt about it. And you know what? The funny thing is, I got several big butts. And, and, and before you before you discard me or, or wince at the disgusting notion of that, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that possibly you have at least one big butt as well. Yeah, you like that? Hurts a little, huh? Let me tell you something. Let me just tell you something, okay? Everybody we know has a big butt. And more often than not, it's the thing that actually gets in the way of us living a consistent life for Jesus. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to expound a little bit, okay? See if you can recognize some of these butts. But I have to work more. But my favorite TV show is on. But my kids have practice. But I gotta tweet something. But it's such a beautiful day. But I'm just not in the mood. But I deserve a break today. You see, everything kind of interferes with my life of, of just living an authentic life for God, okay? And more often than not, it always has something to do with some sort of butt, okay? Even the littlest of butt can distract me. It really can. The littlest butt can make me think, well, oh, I'm not going to pray today. I'm not going to think about it today. I'm not going to deny myself. I'm not going to read the Bible, blah, blah, blah. Whatever God asks me to do, I seem to have a butt for it and get away, okay? And the most horrendously big butt of all time is the butt that gets in the way of me just hanging out with God and reading his word. It's true. Think about it. All the times you're about to open that, and all of a sudden, a big giant butt gets in the way. A butt, much like one of these. But I got a farm bill. But I'm tired. But the game's over. But I read last Tuesday. But I gotta check Facebook. But I don't like Leviticus. But it's too hot in here. But I, I just don't like books. But I don't understand it. But it's boring. But what does that have to do with me in the 21st century? Those are some ugly butts, people. Let's just call them what they are. Ugly. Ugly butts. Okay, and there's a lot more to them, sad but true. Here's a list, although not exhaustive, of some of the most popular butts known to mankind. But I don't have enough money yet. But others will think that I'm a nerd if I carry the Bible. But they won't like me if I talk about Jesus. But I don't know if God will do what I ask. But I just can't get motivated. But I'm afraid. But I don't have all the answers. But the small group is the same night as Monday Night Football. But can I just let my life speak for itself? But I'm not happy. But that's not my gift. But that's the pastor's job. But I don't know how to pray. But I can't believe that. But I don't know where to start. But everybody else is having fun. Butts abound, friend. But, 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 but. Here a but, there a but. Everywhere a butt butt, okay? And, and, and the most overused butt of all time, but I just don't have enough time. Really? Oh, come on, we have a lot of butts. God has given us a real simple word, okay? If we learn it, and we share it, and we teach it, and we live by it, then see, God gets glorified, people benefit, and then we get blessed. That's why we do what we do. That's the why behind the butt, okay? And ultimately, that's the whole point I'm trying to make here, my fellow butt lovers, is if your butt is bigger than your why, then your butt's too big. Okay, it's time to, metaphorically speaking, snap into a Slim Jim. Okay, let's slap on some spiritual shape-ups and hit the road a little bit so we can just manage the butts a little bit. That's all we're trying to do. That's what we're talking about. Let's minimize the excuses. Let's shrink the butts. Shrink the butts. Say it with me. Shrink the butts. That's what we need to do. And you and I can do that together. We can conquer this. You and I can do it. If we start today, okay? I know we can. Let's just do it. No ifs, ands, or... Yeah. Now you can get it. I followed Jesus for over a year now, and I still don't get him. I remember when he walked by where I was fishing and told me and a few of my buddies to follow him. No one was more impressed and surprised about the fact that we all got up and left everything behind and followed him. Amen. I can look back now and see that this was the best decision of my life. Every day is a new adventure. We walk into towns, immediately the crowds show up, and Jesus starts talking, and, and, and then that leads to miraculous healings, and before you know it, everybody's dancing in the streets. There was this one time when Jesus was preaching for a long time, and, and a couple of us disciples, we, we, we approached them and told them, listen, Jesus, uh, uh, they're getting hungry, it's, it's far away from their villages, uh, you know, what do we do? And, and, and he turned to us and said, you give him something to eat. Amen. Long story short, we bring this boy with a small meal, and Jesus uses that meal and turns it in enough food to feed the 5,000 people there. You should have seen that place. People were in awe. Anything that Jesus would have said at that point, they would have done. 
As we got up from there, moved again, a bunch of people approached Jesus and said that they wanted to join our group. Great! Right? And then Jesus comes back to them with some pretty harsh responses. He tells this one guy that, that, that if he follows us, that, that he's going to become homeless. He tells someone else that, that if they need to go back and say goodbye to their family, don't even bother. Talk about strict, right? The mission that we're on is not for the faint of heart. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, tonight, today we're once again looking for you. We're seeking your word today. And we're seeking the power that you are offering us freely to transform us and to make us who and what you want us to be. So open our minds this morning. It is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're on week number two of our Made for Mission series. Made for Mission, and today you notice in your, in your bulletin, it says uh, that the subtitle is Mission Distractors, Mission Distractors. But last week, we talked about this fact that we, we said that every person is called to do what? To mission, right? Every person is called to mission. It means that you're not an accident, that you're not a, a fluke of nature, that God has created you for a purpose. There's a purpose for your life. Don't, aren't you glad that there's a purpose for your life? Your, your life means something. But now, with, with the fact that we, 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 we all were made for missions, and uh, we, we, there's some options of how we can respond to that call. Now, some people completely ignore their mission in life. They, they never seek to answer it, or what, what that mission might be. Others, others sort of kind of flirt with the mission. You know, every once in a while, they carry it out. They live a life of, uh, of mission once in a while. But after a short time, well, it goes away because, you know, life gets in the way. And we go back to the old grind. But some people uh, actively purpose the mission that God has made for them. And, and it is because God's not hiding it from them. He, from them. God is more than happy that, that people are using their gifts and talents to advance his cause. So today, and, and this is the purpose of this, of this series, is that we would literally live out the mission for the one God made us in the first place. Now, our big point last week was that we are all called. That ministry is not just for a select few people, but that, that, that is the responsibility of everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. So, in that case, the next obvious question would be, well, what is my mission? What do I do? And, and more importantly, maybe the question to ask is, is, is there anything in my life that is getting in the way of me carrying out the mission that God has created me for. Let's open our Bibles. Luke chapter 9. And we're going to start in verse 51. Gospel of Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Luke chapter 9 verse 51. Luke 9 51, the Bible says... As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Notice that Jesus was on a mission. Amen. Was Jesus on a mission? Yes. He had a mission to seek and save that which was lost. He resolutely laid down his life for the benefit of others to save others. He was very intentional. Jesus was very courageous. He knew where he was going, and he knew that his life was bigger than himself. Now, earlier in the chapter, Jesus sort of uh, uh, presented point blank, he shared point blank what it means to be his follower. Now, go, go up to verse 23. Verse 23 is our scripture reading. Luke 9, 23. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For as Jesus made this very clear, the mission of those who follow him is the same mission that he had. Seek and save that which was lost. Uh, this isn't just a one-time event, friends. 
It's not one time. This is the mission of our lives. It's going to be on a daily basis from now on until Jesus comes. That's the mission. Our mission is bigger than ourselves or even the people we serve. Remember, we have a worldwide mission. God has raised this Advent movement with a distinct message that is to be proclaimed to every tribe, tongue, and people. It is a worldwide responsibility. That is our mission. Because Jesus did not just come to save people at Nashville first or, 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 or in the United States. He came to seek and save that which was lost, and everybody's lost because of sin. That is his mission. And your mission is the same. But now, if you've been following Jesus for a while, you, you, and probably some of you right now are not in your head, all right, yeah, okay. God has a mission for me. Got it. So what's next? Well, if you're anything like me, you, you, it's, it's much easier for us to sit there and listen to a message and say, all right, yeah, I, I, I see what the pastor's saying, I understand that, but, uh, but, but to live it out in our lives is much different. It's much different to, to say, I, I understand that there's a mission for me, but, but practically, I, I'm not doing that in my life, if you're anything like me. Let me warn you today, friends, that this message is going to be a bit uncomfortable for you. But remember, I didn't start this, Jesus did. Now, I've said this a couple times before, because it's something that I've noticed very much in my time as a pastor. One of Satan's most powerful tools to get Christians off their mission is the tool of the weapon of distraction. This is what we call mission distractors, our message today. Distractions. He loves to distract you. Let me give you one example. Those of you who have one of these, let me see it. Let me see. Let me see your phones. Let me see. How many of you have a phone? Wow, look at all these people that have a phone. Some people have two phones. See, look, I see right there. Two phones. I, you know, I'm amazed how many people have a cell phone, you know? Even, even people that, um, you know, relatively poor people. I remember when I went to Guatemala uh, some years back, and um, the first Sabbath I was invited to the home of the head elder to, to have lunch and to spend the day there. And when I got there, this, this is a very, very humble home. Uh, the, the walls are of zinc and, 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 the, and, and the roof and, and, the, and the floor. There was parts of the floor that were just dirt. I mean, this was their common life, and, and we had lunch, and, and um, there's flies everywhere flying around. I mean, this is just, they're poor people. But they all had an iPhone. C call me crazy. Everybody had an iPhone. I'm like, I don't have an iPhone. Not that I want one. <laughs> this is not a discussion against Apple. Do you know that the average person checks their phone 110 times a day? That's about nine times an hour. And you know, I'm ashamed to say that I'm among those. You know, I may be, see my phone right here, I may be in my office and the phone is right next to me or sitting on the sofa there on the, on the, the arm of the sofa. And for no apparent reason, I just pick it up and go like this and and, and turn it on and see what's going on. It, it didn't sound. I get any notification. I just pick it up and look at it. I don't know why. So 110 times, the average person, that may be you. You can probably, you're nodding, yeah, that's me, that's me, that's right. 110 times in, uh, a day. 84% of those who use their cell phones, who have cell phones, report not being able to go a single day without their cell phone in their hand. Think about that. Now, those of you who are young, you know, you know, teenagers, young adults, you were born into a world that already had cell phones, Amen. right? Yeah. Some of you, right? And, and some of you that are even younger, the kids, uh, or, or, you know, uh, uh, when you were born, we already had smartphones. So this is something, yeah, it's always existed, but it hasn't always existed. 
Those of us a little bit more seasoned remember a time when, when we didn't have this kind of thing. In fact, I remember in the early 90s when we finally had beepers. Some of you remember beepers, pagers? I remember when I got my first one, I thought I was so cool. My wife could reach me and beep me. Now, of course, somebody beep you, you still had to find the phone and call them, right? How unpractical was that? See, my wife is calling me, but I, I don't have a phone to call her, so what good is it? And then they, invited, they, they invented the ones that they could send a text. Remember those? Yeah, at least you have a, a message. You know. And then, you know, later on, I remember when I first got my first cell phone was a Nokia. A Nokia about this big, I don't know. You know it was a... But, you know, I, I remember a time with no cell phones, and I, and I look back, and, and, and we got along perfectly fine without a cell phone, didn't we? But today, and, and even those of us who, who experience life without a cell phone, if we leave the house and we don't have our cell phone, oh my goodness, I don't have my cell phone. Well, what if I have to call somebody? What if somebody's trying to reach me? God forbid I am going somewhere and I don't know how to get there. How am I going to put the GPS, Mary? We have been convinced that this is a necessity. So 84% of, of us. We can't go all a day without our cell phones. 50% of teens, those of you who are teens here, say that they are addicted to their cell phones. It's simply something they can't live without. If you have a teenager and their, phone, and their cell phone broke, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. It's like they lost their arm. Isn't that true? Distractors. Can we agree that we live in a distracted culture? distracted culture. And you know, I found that if Satan can't make you disobey, that if Satan can't make you turn your back on God and be bad, he'll just make you busy. Make you busy. You know, I've shared this with you several times, but I'm going to mention it again. One of the, something that characterizes the average Seventh-day Adventist church, not all, obviously, but the average Seventh-day Adventist church, there's, there's something that characterizes it. Most Seventh-day Adventist churches have what we call prayer meeting or midweek study, you know, different names, usually on Wednesday nights. Some churches do it on Tuesday. I remember when we were at a at the Murfreesboro, Tullahoma district. Tullahoma did it on Tuesday, so I would be there on Tuesday, and then Wednesday we went to Murfreesboro so that the pastor could be there all day. So it, it, but regardless, there's some kind of midweek study and prayer meeting. Usually we just call it prayer meeting. And, and by the way, we're not the only denomination that does it. Most, most denominations have Wednesday night prayer meeting. That's just common. But, but one thing that characterizes the average Seventh-day Adventist church is that a prayer meeting... There's only a handful of people. It, it doesn't matter the size of the church either. I remember uh, asking, this was a couple of years ago, Pastor Ken Whitmore, who was pastoring at Madison at the time. Now, Madison is the biggest church in our conference. And they still have an average, a handful of people. And a church that big. That is true here as well. Now, some of you have a good excuse. When we, when we had prayer meeting at church, I mean, again, it was the same thing. Uh, uh, this was before COVID. So long ago, right? You think about COVID before COVID, it seems like so long ago. People would come to church. It was just an, a, a, a handful of people. And, and some of you have a good excuse. You say, well, you know, I get off work and, and driving you know, downtown Nashville and traffic. It's, it's hard to get there. And Okay, so you have a good excuse. But now, post-COVID, we thank, you for, we thank God for technology, right? We, are, we, we don't even come to church anymore on Wednesday nights. We, we, have, we have it be a Zoom. You don't even have to leave the comfort of your own home to be a prayer meeting. And do you know what the average attendance in our Zoom prayer meeting is on Wednesday nights? Five or six people. Look around you. And mind you, this is not the, the whole uh, uh, membership of this church. Look around you. And the average is four, five, six. You know, when we have eight people, we celebrate. 
Now, uh, uh, this has been a pet peeve of mine because I, I, I've looked at this, well, what's the reason for this? You know, uh, I have, um, you know, over the years driven by churches for other denominations, and their parking lots are full of cars on their prayer meeting. At one point, I decided, I got to look into this because maybe they're giving $100 bills to anybody that comes on Wednesday night. And I wanted my money. But nothing extraordinary on there. It a perfect service. Now, I believe everybody's busy. I think everybody's busy. Satan works on everybody's busy. Perhaps the argument can be made that since this is the Advent movement that God has raised to prepare people to meet Jesus, maybe Satan is working on us a little harder. Maybe that's the argument. Well, they're, they're not as busy as we are, Pastor. And so I thought about this. I said, well, what's the reason for this? And so there's only two, two conclusions that I could come up with. Why, why is it that we that have the last day message to prepare the world to meet Jesus, why is it that we who should have a sense of urgency because of the times that we're living in, we're not? Other churches are. So either, either, either Satan is not working as hard on them to make them busy, or more likely, they take this Christianity more seriously than you do. It's the only conclusion I can come up with. They sense a sense of urgency because of the things that are happening in the world. And we, Seventh-day Adventists, who are the ones who should, were, were shined by our, by our absence. I, I told you this was going to get uncomfortable. It's not only prayer meeting either. We have, when we have other activities in the church, the same, the membership shines by their absence. In a recent survey by Lifeway, it revealed that 80% of churchgoers said that they believe they have a personal responsibility in sharing their faith, but 61% say they haven't done it in the past six months. So the majority of us know we have a mission. The majority of us know it's an important mission, but somehow it doesn't impact our lives. So let's see what we can learn from Jesus here. Let's look at uh, we're in Luke chapter 9. We're going to read verses 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. As they were walking along the road... A man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and, and the birds uh, have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So now, in these passages, Jesus points out there's, there's three mission distractors that he calls out. Let's see if any of this rings true in your life. Three mission distractors, and here's the first one. The mission of comfort the mission of what? The mission of comfort. So notice here, a man walks by ready to follow Jesus. He's ready to go into this mission, but Jesus says, listen, this mission may lead to homelessness. That's what he says. Now, we don't hear what the response is of this person, but the implication is that this was a deal breaker. It was a deal breaker. Now, he was interested in following Jesus as long as that didn't take him out of his comfort zone. How many of you have a comfort zone? Yeah. Now, just think about the things that Jesus asked his disciples to do. He sent them out for weeks at a time. He, 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 he's own goal with money. They have no money, no extra clothes, no fallback plan, and that's what their mission was. Ultimately, Jesus would give the example and model this comfort zone-less life by dying on a cross through six agonizing hours of pain and torture. You know, one of the things that we do, the Mercados, 
and, and this is something you, might, you guys might do too. Every time we get in the car, we're going somewhere, we always pray, right? We always, and, and the common prayer is, Lord, keep us safe, right? Some of you guys do this, right? Yes. Lord, keep us safe. And, and it's, a, it's a very good prayer to have, isn't it? You, know, you never know what's going to, what you're going to encounter when you get out there. Yeah. So, yeah, we, 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 ask, um, we ask God to protect us and to pray. We pray for that, okay? But I want you to think about this. What if Jesus most more about making us dangerous followers of him than just keeping us safe all the time? I want you to think about that. Not that Jesus is not interested in keeping us safe, but what if he was more about making us dangerous followers? Now, when I say dangerous followers, what I mean is, is that the kind of followers that would put a dent into Satan's kingdom. The kind of followers that would make Satan angry. The kind of followers that would make him worried about you. What if, what if that was, Jesus was more about that, of making you a, a dangerous follower than to keeping you safe all the time? Haven't you found in your own life that the times that you grow the most are those times when you're uncomfortable and needing to trust Jesus? That's when you grow the most. We talked about that at prayer meeting some weeks ago. You know, the fact that it is through struggle that we become strong. It is through struggle. It's like lifting weights, right? If you, if you analyze what happens to your muscles when you lift weights, it, it sort of uh, breaks down the tissue of the muscle. It's really hard for the muscle, but it is that way that the muscles become strong. It is through struggle. Friends, our world is, is obsessed with, with safety, with comfort. So what happens when, when the mission of comfort, when your mission of comfort conflicts with the mission of Jesus? What happens? What happens when, when comfort becomes bigger and a bigger deal than the life of Christ? Now we learn, we learn here, friends, from the words of Jesus. Again, if you go back to Matthew, uh, Luke 9.23, where Jesus talks about discipleship, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow him. What, what we read here, friends, is that to follow Jesus, there is a cost. And, and it is better for us to count the cost before following him. Better to count the cost. There is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus. Amen. See, being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, means much more than just coming to, to church on Sabbath for one hour, listening to a sermon, and then going home and taking a nap. Right. It's much more than that. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you need to count the cost. Amen. Because maybe it's too much for you. And if it's too much for you, I think Jesus will fine. Listen, I, I, I did this for you, I'm going to say it, but listen, if it's too much for you, that's fine. I respect that. Amen. But if, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus and you count the cost, then what's wrong? Mission of comfort. You can get in a way. It can be a distraction. Here's the second one. The mission of commitments. The mission of commitments. So Jesus turns to another person and he initiates the conversation. He says, follow me. The man replied, first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus turns back to him and says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, at first that seems kind of a harsh response, doesn't it? I mean, you imagine, you can picture this, this guy dying. He's in hospice, dying there, laying on the bed, and, and he's about to die, right? You can, you can picture that. And so that seems kind of insensitive of Jesus to say something like that. Now, Mrs. White talks about this, and, and, and basically what she, what she says basically is that this guy's guy, this, his, dad, his dad wasn't really dying. What, 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 what is happening here and what he's telling Jesus is, listen, I, I, I will follow you, but first... See, see, his, his dad, his dad it was, he was healthy. He might not die for a number, number, a number, a number of years. So listen, and by the way, it is, a, it is a very good thing that we take care of our parents. It is a very good thing that we take care of our parents. It's a very good thing that we take care of our parents when they're old. 
Uh, there he is, a very good thing. You take care of him. It's an admirable thing, right? Yeah. But friends, here what Jesus is conveying, that there is an urgency to his mission that he has called us for. There is an urgency. It's, this is not something that we can pick up when our schedules clear up. When our busy season is over. It's something that we, we make a priority immediately. Now, the, the first, those, those two words that the man says make the difference. He says, Lord, first let me dot, dot, dot. Again, there's nothing wrong with, uh, with uh, taking care of your father, but, but, but the problem here was that he was putting it as a priority over following Jesus. What he should have said is, Lord, first. Well, first, Lord, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Thou, I'll do first. Everything else can be secondary. And Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. My favorite passage in Scripture, Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. It is my favorite passage because it's the one that has had a greater impact in my life, and it's really told it like it is. Jesus is saying that, that if you put his kingdom first, that if you put him first, that if his mission in your life is first, that if he's a priority in your life, those things that stress you out that you work so hard to get, he'll take care of that. Amen. What he's saying here is that he and his mission ought to be the priority, not a priority, but the priority. Mean Before anybody and before anything. And if, if it, Nate, if it's before anybody, that means that Jesus and his mission as comes before your father, your mom, your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, your boss. And if it, and if it before anything, that means that Jesus and his mission comes before your goals, it becomes before your job, it, becomes, it comes before your schooling, your education, all those things. Jesus comes first. And we find that when Jesus is the priority in our life, there's no room for anything else. No room for anything else. So I wonder if there are things that you have told Jesus, yeah, Jesus, I, I understand that, but first, let me get through the busy season of my life. Yeah, I, I'll give, Lord. I, I know I have to give, but first let me get that promotion. I'll share my faith with others. Yes, I'll share Jesus, but let me first get comfortable with my own walk with you. I'll spend time reading the Bible uh, uh, and praying in the morning, but first let me hit the snooze button six or seven times. Friends, while many of the commitments you've made are really good and, and they're even honorable, Jesus tells us that his mission must come first. Must come first. Now here's the third one. The mission of Competition. Competition. As Jesus walk, uh, continues to walk, another man approaches him and says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus turns to him and replies, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, once again, that seems like a pretty harsh response. I mean, after all, I mean, uh, uh, I can't imagine dropping everything to, to go on a mission trip with a guy that I just met and not tell somebody about it. I got to tell my wife about it at least. She's going to wonder where I am. And this is the time before, you know, cell phones and texts and, you know, all that. Kind. Now I can just send her a text. Listen, I'm going to Peru with, uh, with some of my young adults here, and uh, I'll see you when I get back. Now, that wouldn't, <laughs> she already know. But at least I can tell her. She's not going to wonder, well, I wonder if somebody, she may, he may be dead. No, at least she knows I'm Peru. Now, when I get back from Peru, that would be a different story. But, I, you know, you tell somebody, right? And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, in fact, if you didn't tell somebody, that would seem kind of be irresponsible, right? Yeah. But notice again that this man has the same disorganized words as the one before. Lord, but first. Now again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with telling your family where you're going. But notice here that the same sentence in which he is informing Jesus that he will follow him, he's also making, giving Jesus a command. In other words, he's saying, Lord, uh, let me go do this or I won't follow you. That's the implication. So he's putting a condition. 
Well, what he should have said, I mean, think about it. He should have said, Lord, I will follow you, but would it be all right if I went home and told my, my, my wife that I'm leaving? Yeah, that would have been the right thing to do, but no, no, no. Instead, he tries to make a deal with Jesus and places on a condition on following him. Now, you guys already saw the video that I showed, right? The, the, the butts. And I think, I'm sure some of you can relate to some of the butts that were presented there. You know, the word but changes anything that comes before it, right? I'm pregnant, but, oh, I love you, but. Pastor, I am all in to help you out, but. I will follow you, Jesus, but. The mission that God calls us to, 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 to be in must be seen as a reward, as a joy, not as a regret and a burden. Not as anxiety and uncertainty. The Apostle Paul says it this way. He spoke to the church of Philippi, Philippians 3, verses 13 to 14. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting which, uh, what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. So many things in our lives compete with God's mission. Making money, being successful in your careers, advancing, uh, having everything you want, buying that brand new car, uh, or saving for a vacation or retirement, and, uh, you know, Raising your kids to be perfect. And many of those things are great. Many of of those things are good and, again, honorable. But do they ever compete with God's mission for you to resolutely follow Jesus wherever he is taking you? Do they compete? Do they get in the way? Now, last week we learned that if, if we're a follower of Jesus, then you are called by him. Remember Matthew. Jesus told Matthew, follow me. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to follow him. doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually going to do it. Again, Matthew, when, when, when we talked about that last week, when God approached it, when Jesus approached him and said, follow me, Matthew just didn't sit around and say, well, let me see here. You follow you, uh, where are we going? And who are you, by the way? Can you, tell, can you give me a resume? Do you have any references? I'll think about it. Let me take it with my family. Let me, let, let me see if I can talk to my employer. Maybe he'll give me a severance package so I can quit and, and follow you. But that's not what he did. Immediately he stood up and followed Jesus. Why? Because sitting there, if he continued to sit there, he could not follow Jesus by sitting there. There was an action required. Jesus resolutely walked toward Jerusalem even though he knew what laid ahead. He knew what we laid ahead. So we too, friends, must be intentional and resolutely follow Jesus and his mission above anything and everything else. Everything else. Remember what Jesus, Jesus is not interested in creating a following. You know, we, we, we are so familiar with YouTube, right? You know, people create these channels because they want a following. But Jesus is not interested to, to, to create a following. What he's interested is to becoming, for you to become a follower. He wants followers. So simply saying that you're going to follow him is not enough. You've got to get up. There's action required from you. So think about this. Questions to ask yourself. Will I lay down my comforts, other commitments, and things that compete for my time, treasure, and talents to resolutely follow Jesus? In fact, I want you to humor me today. And I want you to close your eyes. Everybody close their eyes. As if you're in an attitude of prayer. Okay, you're in an attitude of prayer. Close your eyes. And, and as you close your eyes, you're thinking about God. You're thinking about entering in prayer. And I'm going to uh, uh, share a question that, that, that in your mind, you're, at, you're asking this question to God. And, and after I ask the question, I'm going to just give you a few seconds to, for you to ponder that with God as if you're in an attitude of prayer. So please close your eyes. God, do I have any distracting missions in my life that need to die today? I'll say it again. 
God, do I have any distracting missions in my life that need to die today? You can open your eyes now. And there are other questions. Now, if you were to look inside your bulletin, you will see there is a page there that also says Mission Distractors. There's a bunch of questions there. And I'll repeat those questions. You'll have them written there. These are questions that you need to ask yourself. Are there any comforts that you have made more important than Christ? Are there any other commitments that you have been saying, but first, before you can follow Christ's call for your life? Are there any competing missions that might be good, but have become more important than your calling to know Christ and make him known? Now, the reason I put this in there is because what I want you to do is that this week, sort of your homework, as, as you come before God, as you spend time with him in prayer in your devotional time, I would like you to present these questions to God and allow God to answer these questions in your life. And then to him, for him to get the courage, give you the courage to put those away. Now, I'm going to ask Tarana, where did Tarana go? Tarana, there he is. Tarana, come up front. Tarana's going to sing now. And, and while Tarana sings... I'm going to ask of you that if it's your desire to, to make Jesus that priority in your life, to make his mission the priority of life, if you acknowledge that maybe there are things that, that have gotten in the way from you following Jesus, but you want to resolutely make the decision today to put those things to the side and make sure and ask God to give you the strength to make him number one in your life and to put his mission as a priority, and you want to start living that now until Jesus comes as he sings. I invite you to come to the front. And join me here in the front because we want to have a group of people, a group of followers of Christ that will put him first. And when that happens, when you put God first in your life, when mission is important for you just like it's important to Jesus, when we resolutely follow Jesus with all our hearts, great things are going to happen in the kingdom. And the great thing about it is is you're going to be part of it. You're going to be part of it. So, Taryn. But my eyes were open wide Then your love shone through my eyes And at last I saw the light Oh, oh. I was lost On a long and lonely road With no place to call my own Then you your home by giving me all or nothing the best that you could be holding the hands of heaven with a love to set me free and how could I ever doubt you after all you Well, the least that I can do is give all or nothing to you. Let me go. There's a river that will flow 
Father, what a beautiful song that reminds us that you did not hold back to save us. You gave it all. Amen. And we can stand here uh, and, and rejoice because through that gift of, uh, of Jesus, through the, the greatest sacrifice that you have saved us, our sins have been forgiven. Lord, we, we look forward to the coming of Jesus. Because as, on, on that resurrection morning, oh, Father, we will join him and, and, and the angels in the clouds of heaven and, and celebrate and, and praise you and worship you and exalt you for all eternity because the only reason we're there is because you gave it all. Amen. And while it is true, Lord, as we you know, do a self-evaluation in our own lives. Could it be that we have not reciprocated in, in, in giving you all of our lives? We have allowed our enemy, we have allowed the enemy to, to, to distract us, to put things in our way, even important things, to take us off the mission. All of us are in the same boat, Lord. We stand here recognizing that, Lord, recognizing that we have not put you first in our lives, that our life shows that. But it is our desire to change. So, Lord, we have come before you today asking you, Lord, asking you to take this out, take this away, these burdens, these things that are getting away, Lord, we're placing them before the cross of Jesus today. We're laying him at, at, at his feet, Lord, so that you will take it so that there's nothing that gets in the way. That we will be light bearers. That we will be the salt of the earth. That others will see Jesus in us. That, Lord, we would be this army of soldiers for Christ that would carry out your mission of salvation, the news of Jesus to others that are, that are close to us, that are far from us, Lord, here in the Nashville area, here in this community where the church is located. In our own sphere, in our own workplaces, in our own neighborhoods, with our own family. Lord, we can't do this alone. We acknowledge it. We can't do this in ourselves. But Lord, we know that through your spirit it can be done. All we need to do is to be willing to bring those things that, that have gotten in the way for so long. To toss them aside and make you first. Because again, when we make you first, we know we won't have room for anything else. Amen. 
Nothing else will get in the way. So thank you, Lord, for reminding us today. But Lord, may, may this not just be one thing. May not, we, may just not just be us coming to the front and say, yeah, I'm making an emotional decision because the sermon was powerful. No, may, may, may this be a, a thing that we, we decide to do here on until Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven. And that every day, it would be more joyous, like, like the opening illustration, that, that the, the best decision that we've had, that, that we've made is to follow Jesus, and every day has been an adventure. Amen. Use us for your glory, Lord. Use us to advance your cause, Lord. And, and as we think of discovering revelation, as we think about the mission that you've given this Advent movement, Lord, not only may we here, be here to support, not only may we be here to pray, But Lord, may we be here to share. May we be here to support and encourage. May we be here to advance your cause. And that this might not be just through the month of April. But every day of our lives, again, until Jesus comes. That is our wish. That is our hope. That is our desire. And Lord, we celebrate today because your word says that if we ask for anything according to your will, that you will do it. And you will do this in our lives, and we thank you ahead of time because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.